The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good evening. <clears throat> and uh, tonight I'll continue with a series of talks that I've been giving on the seven factors of awakening. And these are seven states of mind and practices. The practices and states of mind are almost synonymous at times. We do the practices that evoke certain states of mind. And these are seven states of mind that um, support the path to liberation, to awakening. And uh, when mindfulness practice gets strong, these seven factors uh, follow in the wake of mindfulness. And um, so some people will cultivate these seven factors directly, but more often they're the byproducts of practicing well. And as we practice mindfulness and meditation well, these things come along and it's good to recognize them. And as we recognize them, uh, there's something about the recognition of, of wholesome, beneficial states of mind that uh, supports them, that uh, encourages them, that feeds them so they continue to grow. So it's states of mind that meditators should you know, at least know in the back of their mind and then, so that they can recognize them when they arise. And then as they arise and occur, then we want to be skillful with them. We want to know how to work with them and balance them and let them keep growing and, and um, such things. So these seven factors are mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And uh, in the series so far, I've talked about uh, the first two, mindfulness and investigation. And this evening, the topic is energy, the energy factor of awakening. And this factor of energy fits between uh, investigation and, and um, joy. And that says so that, that uh, one understanding is that these seven factors arise out of each other. And so if joy is going to somehow arise out of effort, it requires a particular kind of effort that um, is not grim. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that isn't some, you know, you, well, you know, you don't take it too seriously, this stuff. There's a quote from, supposedly from Suzuki Roshi, the Zen teacher in San Francisco, that said, um, uh, life is too important to take seriously. <laughs> the, um, so what kind of effort gives rise to joy in the practice? So some of that has to do with the, the factor before, investigation. As we start investigating, as we start kind of tuning in and seeing really what's going on, then ideally interest arises and a certain enthusiasm for discovery, certain enthusiasm for investigation, understanding what's there. And interest is uh, the joy that comes out of energy is sometimes defined as interest uh, or uh, not just interest, but um, 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 kind of... uh, zeal or kind of enthusiastic uh, engage, engagement with what you're doing. Wholeheartedly involved in what you do. 
uh, maybe similar to the kind of joy maybe some people have. If, the, if you read a really good book or you have a really a hobby that you get absorbed in or you play musical instrument, you get absorbed in musical instru- instrument, and you kind of forget your world, you forget your cares, you forget even yourself, you're absorbed in this thing. And there's a kind of s- a sense of well-being that can arise. Um, and maybe a kind of happiness, maybe a kind of a joy that can arise from giving yourself completely over to one thing that's really nice that has your interest. And so the energy is one that somehow uh, we get us wholeheartedly involved with what we're doing so that we are, you know, there's enthusiasm, there's joy, there's delight, there's an absorption in what we do, whatever it might be. The issue of energy is, I think, is a very interesting one, and some people would say that a huge part, central part of any mindfulness practice, Buddhist practice, is negotiating the issue of energy. Uh, It's not like just one kind of energy to apply, but understanding how we make energy, what kind of energy is needed, what kind of effort, for what purposes we need to do. It's a big topic. And it's a topic that I try to avoid for a long time in my practice. Uh, Somehow I couldn't get myself to really understand um, how the the topic of energy without the topic of striving or pushing or like a burden of trying to do something. So I practiced a lot, and I practiced with enthusiasm and probably with a lot of energy, but I didn't identify myself, I didn't think of myself that I was practicing with energy or a lot of effort, because somehow I associate with effort with work. And and so, you know, if someone said, make more effort, Gil, uh, I probably would have just, you know, Bored, born down on the, you know, like tried harder and tightened up and all that. And so I didn't think that was conducive to any kind of thing good in practice. So uh, I kind of, my self-image of myself was I didn't apply any effort. <laughs> well, whereas actually I was applying a lot. But it was, you know, it was a different kind. So this idea of what kind of effort or kind of a different approach, looking at how we make effort, uh, I'd like to um, try to convey with this idea is that in in all your waking hours, maybe in all your hours, in all your waking hours, you're making effort for some purpose. You're making some kind of effort. Even if you're completely kind of relaxed, a couch potato, you know, you think you're doing nothing. <laughs> um, you know, if someone asks you, what are you doing? I'm nothing. You're watching TV. What are you doing? I'm doing nothing. You're looking at the ceiling. Uh, you're letting your mind kind of drift and, and go and your mind Gets, puts effort, it takes this, you know, our neural energies uh, and applies it to daydreaming. Something is going on there. There is effort being made. Um, there's effort in, in being a couch potato, slouching, you know, just relaxing, you know, so deeply. There's some kind of effort that's there, but we don't think of it as self-conscious effort, maybe. We don't think of it as work. So we say, I'm not making any effort. But there's always some kind of effort and some kind of choice in what we're doing. And what we're asked to do, one of the things we're asked to do in this practice is to take interest, to investigate what is our relationship to effort? How do we make effort? What's our association with it? Are you like me? And the word effort has connotations of oppressive work, you know, oh no, what a burden. Or is effort something that brings you joy and delight? Um, I kind of, actually, probably some of you already know this, I actually like making effort. I enjoy it a lot. When I, I worked on a farm for a while, when in my, in my early 20s, 
And I was so happy doing all this physical work in the farm that um, so I can, you know, work more or something or be... I would run between the tasks. (laughs) You know, I had to go get a a shovel. I'd run to get the shovel and come back so I can dig. (laughs) So maybe that makes me strange, but... But the idea of, you know, I, I wasn't thinking I was making effort. You know, that wasn't effort. That was just enjoying myself, you know, just having a good time. Um, and then when I came to uh, my early 20s also to San Francisco Zen Center, and one of the, I, think was, I think it was the first question I asked the Zen teacher there. I got interested in um, Zen practice, but I'd heard you're supposed to make effort in Zen and um, in and, uh, and meditation, and I, you know, you know, this word effort was like a big, you know, it was like an E word or like a four-letter word for me, even though it has more letters. And, um, and so the first effort, the question I asked my Zen teacher was, what kind of effort do you have to do to practice Zen meditation? And he looked at me and he said, uh, all he said was, who's making the effort? And I didn't understand anything. He went, what? <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, it took me years to realize that that was a very profound counter question. You know, because you're supposed to kind of turn around and kind of go behind the issue of effort. You know, what's the self identity, the self consciousness, what's the sense of self behind that? Because there's something there about the self you bring to your activity, the self identity you have, that can can be very important to understand if you're trying to understand effort. Um, and I think for him, the idea was to kind of see that possible to kind of, for your self-consciousness to kind of disappear and then see what arises then. What kind of effort, what kind of energy arises on its own without you self-consciously, you know, bearing down and applying it. And so that was a very important part of Zen training for me, was there was a lot of effort made in Zen. You had to, you know, uh, sit up with, you know, sit up kind of very strong and straight. You had to not make the effort not to move in meditation. You had to, when the bell rung, you had to get up quickly and walk quickly and do all these things, chant and do all this. You had to do a lot of stuff. And, um, but uh, uh, what I learned was that by giving myself over wholeheartedly to the activity that I was doing, that there was some kind of effortless effort that arose. <clears throat> that uh, the effortless effort is an effort where I'm not being self-conscious in doing it, but rather it sometimes sometimes happens more with enthusiasm, wholeheartedness, a certain kind of getting out of the way, a certain kind of just fully giving myself to it and allowing something within, an enthusiasm, an energy, and a vitality, to kind of animate me that I couldn't identify with me doing the work. And so this kind of, you know, the birth, the awakening of some kind of, uh, kind of natural enthusiasm or engagement was something that was very important for me to learn in Zen. But the more important question for you is, what is your relationship to effort? What, do you, what are your associations with it? Um, if someone tells you to make effort, uh, do you get uh, discouraged right away? Do you get... Of, uh, resistant to the idea? Do you get enthusiastic? You say, oh boy, <laughs> I'm so lucky. <laughs> I get to make some effort. I get to do something. Um, what is your relationship to it? <clears throat> because you might have developed over time <clears throat> all kinds of attitudes 
some from what you've learned uh, from your society, from schools, from classmates, from family, about uh, what it means to make effort and what kind of effort you should make. And some of it might not serve you very well. And that's one of the things that um, people learn when they start meditating, especially if you start meditating a fair amount, um, is that sooner or later you'll learn something about how you're, uh, you're meditating, what kind of effort you're making. Because sometimes effort can be counterproductive. Uh, if you make too much self-conscious effort, you know, you're pushing and trying to get something, striving, tightening up, um, I'm going to try harder, uh, you, you actually can go backward in meditation. You just simply, you know, you, you just can't get more settled and more concentrated. Um, you know, if you, I, I've, I've, had, I've known teachers in Asia who told their students, um, you know, would yell sometimes, concentrate, concentrate. In Zen especially, they would yell. Uh, concentrate, concentrate, die on the cushion, concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I think in, in, in certain contexts, in certain kind of situations, that was probably very enlightening and helpful. But for some people, uh, they would get all wrapped up in themselves and thought, oh, I have to make more effort, I have to get concentrated. Concentration requires a, a very calm, soft mind to get really concentrated. And so they get all stiff and tight. And, you know, that's not really concentration. So when someone says make effort, what are your associations with it? And now, if you remember from last week, I talked about investigation. One of the things we're investigating in all areas is what we're doing helpful or not helpful. Is it skillful or not skillful? So it's possible to turn the attention back to see how we're making effort and then investigate and see for yourself, is this helpful or is it not helpful? If you're making too much effort, maybe you need to back off. If you're making too little effort, you need to kind of maybe make some more. Some people who come to meditation practice um, somehow think that meditation is all about relaxing and kind of being calm and, you know, and getting soothed and it's all so nice, and, you know. And, you know, and as an antidote to being, you know, always working and doing hard. And, and so, they, you know, they kind of don't make any effort. And I've known people who for didn't make any effort in meditation, real effort for years. And their mind wandered, you know, it's all so nice. And they got a little bit of calm because they weren't doing anything, right? <laughs> so, you know, they kind of patted themselves on the back. Oh, it works, you know, it's nice. I'm getting a little bit calmer and sleepy and, you know, and, you know, and, you know going to Disneyland would be nice. And I wonder when I could go and there's those rides to go on. It'd be great to go on those rides. And it's uh, <laughs> You know, and I'm gonna sure to go on the roller coaster. And, you know, the, you know this. You know, I don't want to make any effort, right? I just want to relax. And just you know. and so the mind has free reign to do whatever it wants, and um, and uh, so some people need to kind of and some people start falling asleep in meditation because they don't make enough effort, and then there's other people who make too much effort and they get all tense, and uh, and one one if you get too tense in meditation, uh, you can't meditate. But uh, a really good, not a good, but uh, one, one strategy that some people will make is um, if meditation is not going well because you're making too much effort, is uh, to make more effort. <laughs> and now that makes it even worse, right? So what, what's the solution? Make more effort. 
And now some people I know uh, can bury themselves in a grave, right? And now uh, doing that way, just, you know, just keep pushing and pushing, you know, knocking my head against the wall. So the idea is to investigate and monitor yourself. And uh, mindfulness, inte- mindfulness meditation requires you to use your intelligence. You all have enough intelligence, but it's an intelligent person's kind of activity. Um, and you have to use your intelligence, but remember, the, f- the second factor of awakening investigation, you're always monitoring, is this helpful or not helpful? So you're using your intelligence, but is it helpful or not helpful to use it? Sometimes it's helpful to kind of reflect and think and look and see, you know, what do I need to do here? Maybe I'm making too much effort, maybe I'm making less. Let's try to make, try a little bit more. Um, uh, and sometimes you see that using your intelligence, reflecting and thinking about it actually is counterproductive because it you know, sends you up in your head and you're spinning around in your wheels in your head. So it's constant coming back. Is it helpful or is it not helpful? Is it helping me to have more ease, more freedom? Is it helping me to be more engaged, to be more wholehearted in my activity? Um, and so you're, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to become our own teachers. And you can only become your own teacher for yourself if you're monitoring yourself well. So and this is go back to the first factor of awakening, which is mindfulness. We want to cultivate the capacity to be attentive and mindful in the present moment so that um, we're in the present and we can start seeing what's happening in the present, being present for it. Not, be in, not meditate just to kind of chill out, not to meditate to zone out, but to actually meditate to be really in, in the present moment in a calm, clear way so that we can see what's going on in our thoughts, in our body, in our emotions, in, our, in how we're making effort. As we stay present, we then investigate, we start seeing what's going on, is this helpful or not helpful, what's going on? And one of the things that we can then investigate is the quality of our effort. And effort is needed. The Buddha made a a big deal about the importance of effort. He said, make effort. But you have to kind of monitor it to know what kind of effort to make. Do you bring a lot of self-consciousness to your effort? Meaning, is a lot of you in the effort? You know, I have to make effort so that I look good. I have to make effort so that I can be successful in the eyes of, you fill in the blank. Um, I have to make effort so that I get an A. You know, I, I've known people who, um, who think that they have to, uh, when they go f- to meet with a teacher to talk about their meditation practice, like on retreat, they have to show success. And so they make an effort because they, you know, not to just meditate well, but they want to look good when they go talk to the teacher. And that's also a recipe for disaster. Um, the, um, so what kind of self-consciousness do you bring along? Is it, possible, is, it, is it helpful to be self-conscious or is it not helpful? Constantly asking that question. And if you look and see, well, actually, maybe it's not helpful. Or maybe I don't know if it's helpful or not helpful. And then the task in meditation is trial and error. Try something out. Try it one way and learn from that. And if it didn't work out, then try the other way. Try another way. And a big part of mindfulness meditation is, in fact, trial and error. Um, Again, you, you don't rely on teachers. You have to become your own teacher. And the way you learn is by trial and error. So with effort, 
you make more effort, you apply yourself more, and then you learn from the results. Don't be afraid to fail because it's in the failing that you learn <clears throat> how to correct yourself. I know people who've learned more from failing in meditation than from succeeding. And in fact, some of the biggest lessons I had were from failing utterly, totally. Yeah, I can tell you horror stories of how well I failed. <laughs> and the reason why it was so good for me to fail was that only then did I really understand what I was doing. So, um, uh, so I had a certain neurotic desire to, um, to be successful, to, you know, to be successful in the eyes of other people. And I was doing meditation, a community of meditators, and so it, I kept trying and trying and trying, and the more I tried, the less I could meditate. And so that was one of those people who just tried harder and harder, until finally on, in, in, on retreats, I would just crash and burn. I'd reach rock bottom i get all tense and it was hopeless. And only when I finally gave up, okay, I give up. I don't know how to meditate. I don't even know what what meditation is anymore. I just give up. Um, uh, Then the meditation would begin. And in the process of then giving up fully, I saw the self-identity issues, the sense of self and ideas of self that were operating behind that effort that I probably couldn't have seen unless I failed miserably. Is that a good... Now you tell me you're never going to meditate again. <laughs> you thought it was all about, you know, getting in the zone. And so trial and error. So, be, so don't be afraid to try different things as you meditate. And then see what that's like for you. Again, is it helpful or is it not helpful? Some things you'll learn quickly and some things take a long time before you get the feedback to find out if it's really working. Um... So, you know, so some things you want to persist. One of the definitions of effort in this tradition is persistence. And sometimes just hanging in there persisting is one of those useful things you can do. There are times when, for me, meditation has felt like manual labor. Uh, you know, I wasn't getting the obvious benefits that you, you read about. Um, and, um, and luckily, when I was a new meditation student, we knew about less benefits. But now, <laughs> because uh, nowadays there's so much research and you know all this clinical studies of meditation and all these benefits you can get from meditation and it's a burden <laughs> because because you know now you have that to measure yourself against my my reach the goal you know is my telomeres gotten you know <laughs> what you know they say that meditation kind of improves the health of your telomeres, you know, these ends of your, your DNA, and so you get old slower. <laughs> I, so I didn't know that when I was a new meditator. They, they, no one knew that back then. Only the telomeres knew that. <laughs> and so, you know, if you know a lot of the benefits and a lot of the, what can happen from meditation, it can be a real burden. You're looking for it. You're trying to get it. Am I reached that? Have I gotten that yet? And, and so that's not helpful. Is it helpful or not helpful? What kind of monitoring of yourself is helpful? Neurotic monitoring, watching every little step. I've, I've done the thing where I'm sitting down to meditate. I meditate a couple of breaths. How am I doing? <laughs> you do, do a couple more breaths. How am I doing? You know, am I there yet? Wherever there is. 
you know, it's like uh, the analogy is I've told many times, it's like a farmer who plants corn, plants a seed, the corn seedling in the ground, and it sprouts a little bit. And so then you pull the sprout out of the ground to see how well it's growing. <laughs> and the thing about that, it's very hard to, to put the corn seedling back in. Basically, you can't grow anymore then, unless you're very lucky. You kill it, right? So, you know, so you find out, oh, this constant checking on myself, that doesn't work. I think what works is I think I need to check myself maybe once a week, you know, or just check at the end of my sitting. Maybe at the end of the sitting, I'll sit, and at the end of the sitting, I'll look back and reflect on that meditation and see what I can learn from it. But I, I don't think I'm going to try to monitor every moment as I, as I do it. That just ties me up. But the idea of persistence is what I wanted to emphasize, is that you hang in there and sustain the effort. They say that um, you know, you, if you uh, want to heat water in a kettle, you don't heat it up a little bit for a couple of minutes or a minute or something and then turn it off. And then come back an hour later, turn it on for another minute, and then turn it off. Uh, it's never going to, you know, you need to have continuity of the heat for it to build. Same thing with meditation, there's a continuity that, that helps, uh, helps the pulp practice develop. And sometimes you don't get the benefits of meditation in one meditation session or two or three or for a week. Um, and so if you're measuring yourself all the time, uh, you can kind of tie yourself up and get discouraged. Sometimes the effort you, we need to make is just persist. Just hang in there. Keep doing it. And perhaps maybe the end of the month you, you, uh, you evaluate and look. And I've had the experience uh, of meditation really feeling like manual labor. You know, my mind wants to wander away a lot. I'm sleepy a lot. I have to wake up and catch myself. I have to keep coming back, keep coming back. And there's no obvious benefits. But I've done this enough times over these 40 years that I've meditated to know to have a lot of trust in the process of the manual labor. Just keep trying to come back. Come back. Let go and come back. Let go and come back. Sit up and wake up. Because some point... Uh, something comes together, some, something clicks in the whole psychophysical system, and then boom, then I find myself, I'm here and present, and then it's possible to, you know, to get more concentrated and more settled. And I've learned to trust it so much that I, don't, I, I can't uh, know ahead of time how long that manual labor period is going to last when it's like that. And so I just have to kind of keep doing it and keep doing it, and sometimes it's just a short while, sometimes it's a long time. But inevitably it changes. And I can't know when it's going to change, but I have to make my effort. Uh, you know, as, as opposed to, you know, well, I'll just go watch TV, I'll go, you know, this doesn't feel like a good meditation today, so I, you know, I'm not, not getting anywhere, so I might as well give up, you know, and better luck tomorrow. Um, then there's something deep inside that isn't being cultivated and developing and being worked that happens when there's manual labor. Other times, my meditation has been... Um, uh, the only effort I make is to make no effort. <laughs> Sometimes I'm settled in the present moment, I'm here enough, uh, that, and I can really feel that any, anything to do, anything to try to accomplish anything or get anything, or it just, uh, just kind of is an agitation in the mind. And, and what I mostly try to do is let go. Let go of any effort at all. That it's kind of effortless effort. Just trust getting out of the way, getting out of the way. And don't make any effort at, at, at anything except the effort of not making effort. And sometimes it even gets to the point where even that effort is too much. And so just kind of just trusting, just being, just being with it. Uh, 
But the sense of just being and effortless effort, getting out of the way, is a really nice thing, helpful sometimes. But what I've seen some meditators do is they adopt that as their policy. And they kind of, and sometimes there's great religious philosophy around how you should just be and not, you know, make any effort and just make effortless effort. Um, but, um, you know, the Buddhist approach is not to have a policy, not to have some ultimate kind of philosophical view, but rather keep coming back, trial and error, what's helpful and not helpful, what helps you become freer. And don't be seduced by calm. Don't be seduced by just being kind of you know, just kind of generically kind of calm and relaxed and kind of removed from your troubles. What we're trying to develop here uh, in, in meditation is a certain degree of inner strength. Uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, there's certain injuries we have in our body where the instinct for some people, like certain back injuries, is to uh, rest the back. But what's needed is the back needs to be stronger. And uh, my, my wife had repetitive stress injury in her wrist once. And a lot of people were telling her, relax, relax, relax. And it just never healed. It actually got worse. And she finally found a physical therapist said, you need to build up your strength in your shoulders. And when she built up the shoulder, shoulder strength, maybe it created some different conditions there for the nerves. And that allowed the, the wrist pain uh, to heal. So sometimes you need to build strength. And so Buddhist meditation practice... Uh, does involve building strength. So instead of energy, is supposed to translate to becoming strong in different ways, in psychological ways or uh, ways of the heart. So there's not just learning how to be calm in some easy way, and then comes a crisis in our life, and you can't be calm and you don't know what to do. You want to develop strength of mindfulness, strength of investigation, strength of being engaged and being present, strength of joy, strength of calm, for sure, that's the kind of strength to develop, strength of concentration and strength of equanimity. So that becomes stronger and stronger and so that you can carry those with you into different settings and different places. Um, And they support you. They create a ballast so you're more balanced in situations. But if meditation is only about kind of getting cool, relaxed, calm, kind of floating around, it's okay, Um, uh, those strengths are not being developed. So this idea of effort, making effort, um, the persistent effort, the effort to kind of keep it, like, like for example, meditation, do it every day. It takes effort to show up and meditate every day, however long you do. That builds a strength, that builds momentum. Uh, make an effort to let go of your thoughts and come back. Make an effort to stay on the breath when you're focusing on the breath. Let's, let's, let's really make an effort to sustain the attention. Some people can be very good to make effort to let go of their thoughts and come back to the breath. But then there's a separate effort needed to then sustain the attention on the breath. And they don't know about that second effort. They know about the coming, connecting to the breath, but they don't know just about sustaining it. And, um, and so then to make a different, to discover, explore, what is it to sustain, to hang in there, to stay with the breath? In daily life, right effort, in Buddhism, Buddhist idea of right effort, involves, also involves an evaluation, a consideration of what kind of, what kind of activities should I be doing that are helpful for me? And what kind of activities are not helpful that I should let go of? And so things like uh, greed is not a helpful activity to be involved in. 
Generosity is a helpful activity. Uh, hate is not a helpful activity. Hostility is not a helpful activity to be involved in. Um, kindness and compassion is a helpful activity. Um, so, there, so there's this kind of differentiation, monitoring the states of mind, what our mind is doing, and having a sense of what is helpful and not helpful. Not good and bad, like you're a bad person if you have one way, but what is helpful and not helpful is the analysis. In daily life, there's a lot of emphasis in Buddhism, uh, make effort to cultivate the helpful states of mind. Don't be Pollyannish about it, don't kind of pretend, but in, in simple, honest, authentic ways, can you emphasize more generosity, more compassion, more friendliness, more wisdom, more investigation, as opposed to more greed, hate, tuning out, not paying attention. Um, you know, cultivate a higher ethical sensitivity, more empathy, as opposed to being unethical. So, you know, so, so to make the effort, but then as always, what kind of effort, what's the quality of the effort you're making? Is the way you're making effort helpful or not helpful? Now you, now you hear this talk, you say, now I have to make effort to be generous. And so you kind of like, you know, get all tight and looking for generous. Who am I going to be generous to? You know, and was I generous enough? And, you know, and, and, you know, all this stuff. The idea of how you make effort is good. Is it, so if you want to be generous, can you find a way to be generous that's nourishing for you? That supports you, that feels good? Not a way of being generous that kind of burdens you more. So this is the intelligent way of practicing. This is, it does involve being your own teacher, monitoring yourself, Having a, beginning to have a sense through trial, trial and error what's useful and not useful, have a sense of you know what what kind of, how to evaluate, so it helps you become more peaceful, more free, more engaged, more involved, more more kind of intentionally involved with your life in a way that's freeing. So right, so this uh, the, the effort factor of awakening, very important quality. And then I'll repeat what I said at the beginning. Uh, the effort factors is working well when it's a foundation or a or prompt for the joy factor, which is next week. So we have a few minutes. Anyone want to ask any questions or express any reservations or wholehearted protests? I'll, I'll try to say something, but uh, again, this, this, uh, this, uh, the theme for today of being your own teacher and monitoring yourself is that um, a, teacher can, a teacher can say something and make some suggestions, 
and um, uh, they may they might not be appropriate for any given person. And then some people think the teacher is right, the teacher knows, and so then it's like you're burdened by this, like the teacher knows what I'm supposed to do it that way. There is not one, you know, I think everyone has to find their own way. And sometimes the teacher's answer is on the mark. Sometimes it's not on the mark, but it's suggestive of something different. You find your own way. So you have to kind of experiment. So whatever I say, take it, you know, seriously and lightly. Not too seriously. Um, So... uh, uh, sometimes an analogy is helpful. It would be um, uh, if you're with someone who really feels like you need, needs attention, you want to sustain your presence. You don't necessarily stare at them, but you want to keep them in focus so they know you're paying attention to you. You maybe have had the experience of someone who you're with and they weren't really paying attention to you. You were talking, it was really important for you and something, and they're like they're looking around and, you know, you know, like not really there and you can kind of feel it, you know. And so, and you know what it feels like when someone is there. Or maybe you know what it's like when you're really there for someone. So can you take that analogy, that sense of being really there for some activity that you know how to do, like being with a person where it counts, um, and try to do that with your breathing. So some people are more focused with the eyes, so you really try to sustain the gaze, the inner gaze on the breath. Some people are more kinesthetic, so... It's more like uh, it's like you're holding hands with the breath. You're, just, you're there, or you put your hand on your on a friend's shoulder, and you, they know you're there. And maybe they're really distressed, so you want to sustain the hand there on the shoulder. You don't want to just pat them once and keep it there. So you so the the kinesthetic, physical feeling of being present with the experience of breathing is one way of sustaining it. Sometimes there has to be a, a kind of. A, um, <clears throat> a little kind of thinking that goes along, a kind of little evaluation, little kind of mental encouragement so that the thoughts are not going quickly into other things, flitting away. But there's a very simple, relaxed kind of, you know, even, even something like, stay there, stay with it, going on. Those, actually saying those words to yourself, stay, 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 you know. Uh, I sometimes use the word yes, yes, you know. I find, yes, just yes, stay there, yes. And because it's like using a thought to help you be present, um, because if you don't give the thoughts some things to do sometimes, the thoughts will wander off on their own. They'll think, they'll think they have things to do. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, so sometimes having a little label like that can, uh, can be helpful uh, to sustain it. And, um, and so the other thing that's helpful with sustaining the attention um, uh, sometimes it's best not to have um, uh, really big goals. Like, you know, so sometimes I'm going to sustain my... I'm not going to let... I'm going to stay with the breath for a hundred breaths. I'm not going to miss one breath to the end of the meditation session. It's just unrealistic. And, you know, and it's just, you know, for generally for people coming off the street and starting to meditate. And so you're already setting yourself up for discouragement and failure. <clears throat> and sometimes it's better to have kind of shorter goals, smaller goals... You know, I'm going to sustain it uh, for one breath. Can I just be there for the full in-breath and the out-breath? And that's, short, you know, and that's, that's maybe manageable. Like, you can get that at the end of your... And so you don't flit... You talk about flitting away so easily, right? But you're, if you just commit yourself to one breath, maybe you'll flit away a little bit slower. You'll get to that one breath. And if you can't, 
you know, then, and then occasionally, if you really doesn't work, uh, you, there's all kinds of other interesting things to do. One is um, uh, do the equivalent in your mind of gritting your teeth. You know, I'm not going to let. I'm going to hang in there no matter what. It doesn't look pretty, but it might train your mind to relax and stay present and not give in. It's like overcoming an addiction. You have to kind of not... We're addicted to our thoughts. So sometimes you need strong medicine to go hang in there. Don't, you know. Um, and sometimes um, the efforts in order to sustain the attention, you have to understand much better uh, why you flit away. <clears throat> so you need to investigate the flitting away to understand what's going on there. So maybe something there needs to relax. And only something, when that, the flit, whatever is causing you to wander off in thought so easily, that tension or that pressure has relaxed, then it can be easier just to stay with the breath. So that was a whole slew of things. I don't know if that, you'll, you'll find something that's... So one more and then we'll stop. kind of a pipe dream question, but uh, I was wondering if it's possible to transform your ego into a more, more harmonious energy. Can you transla- transfer your ego to more harmonious energy? So I think then you need to help me with, with extent, defining what ego is for you. Hold the mic up. <laughs> ego is definitely more of a distraction for me. So ego is distraction or ego? The, uh, your ego concerns are a distraction? Oh, for me. Which one is it? I didn't, he didn't understand what you said. E- ego is a distraction or? Definitely a distraction. From, uh, you know, when I'm trying to sit. Yeah, but that, that could well be. Uh, but what is ego? Oh, <laughs> that's hard to explain. Your question is really good. I think the the wise. I, I suspect the wisest thing I can do in response for you, the most helpful thing, is to ask you to go home this next week and figure out what if, uh, identify what is the ego for you, mm-hmm. so you can really describe it well what it is. But very specifically, be really specific and. Look at yourself. And well, I've seen ego come up as uh, kind of a uh, grasping or taking ownership of uh, like an ability or activity. I've seen it turn into delusion. I've seen it... Uh, do contrast comparisons. Uh huh. Yeah. So, uh, so it, but you keep talking about it. Myself. It. You know, it's part of me. But, but, but yes, I understand. But uh, you're getting closer. You're, you're, what you described was great. That you see all this. It's a little bit away. Still a little bit removed. So what is it? I mean, you, you, because you started with the ego, and now you're talking about yourself. Are they synonymous? 
Yes. Oh. <laughs> it is myself. It is yourself. Yeah. And so what is it about yourself that's troublesome? That you want to create more harmony? Well. <laughs> the reason I ask these kinds of questions is that the whole path of mindfulness works a lot better if we're more specific about what we're looking at and talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's quite reasonable that you ask about the ego, given how it's often used in our society, but it's an abstraction. And so when, we, when we're talking about abstractions, we can't, mindfulness doesn't really work with abstractions. You have to kind of ground yourself and find yourself with what's more specific, what's actually going on, what's actually occurring and arising in the moment. So if I may, if I may suggest, uh, I mean, I, you reported, started to report quite well, you've something, but that you go spend a week and, and look more detail and see if you can be more specific. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah. Great. Okay. So thank you all for this evening and um, I hope that uh, I haven't burdened you with a talk on effort <laughs> but rather instead made you much more curious about it so that uh, you maybe this week you'll kind of investigate and look your relationship to effort how you make effort are there more useful ways of making effort and how can effort uh, making effort engaging effort be something that really serves you in this life and something that brings you joy be next week's topic. Thank you. <laughs>